Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, the Northampton Town Audio Show. I'm Tom Reed, and even though we are 20,000 leagues under the posh on World Book Day and it's a hard times on the pitch, I'm joined by three thoroughly well-read guys in the book of football misery. It's Andy Bodfish, Martin Maloney and Jefferson Lake. How are you doing, guys? You OK? Not bad, thanks. How are you? Yeah, all good. Good stuff. Good, we'll go through some of our Cobblers book mashups later. I've got to say that Jake Moore absolutely smashed it straight off with Shite Club. So we're not going to probably improve from much from there. <laughs> um, starting off on the podcast, we you know, really need to talk about John Brady's appointment to Cobbler's job till the end of the season. There's a lot of, you know, I'm in an hour in about who would come in and if there'd be a permanent manager, it looks like that decision won't be made until summer at least. Um, but it seems fairly sensible, Andy, to give John Brady the job till the end of the season. I think so, yeah. I mean, we went through the candidates, didn't we, when um, Curl, Curl got the boot. Um, no one particularly stood out. I don't think any of us were that, um, you know, it's just all names on the carousel and, yeah, a bit, a little bit meh. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think we, we were all quite quite keen to see how he fared. I mean, just looking at how he's sort of grown into the the role. I mean, you guys would have seen more 90 minutes than than me um since he took over and of course it's still only the one win so you know it's not like he's flicked a switch and everything's all right but i mean i thought after that first match listening to his to his interviews um which was just after the wigan game when it the burton game and because uh, i was a bit torn as to i've seen him interview before and sometimes he can seem quite he's very measured in what he thinks very careful guy thinks about what he says yeah. And then after that Burton game, I thought, oh, you know, is this, is he a little bit timid? Um, and then, of course, Ipswich comes around and then, you know, he has a bit of a go back at Jake Sharp. And, there's a, a, you know, the chin, the chin is jutted out a little bit more. Um, and just listening, obviously seeing seeing a bit of the way the team have played and attacking, going forward, scoring goals. Yes, he's got them doing that again and clearly enjoying things. Um, but just the way he is, I mean, he's a... I think he's a bit of a breath of fresh air um, as to what that, those lads have been accustomed to. I mean, he's um, he's phased Bolger out, which needed to happen. Yeah. Um, Ryan Watson all of a sudden has turned into um, some kind of Frank Lampard type. <laughs> um, and it just feels a little bit better. Um, it looks better. It feels better. Um, you know, you've got the players being filmed trotting down the... Um, you know, the the dressing room, uh, the tunnel back into the dressing room with a bit of a spring in their step and having a bit of a laugh. And you kind of think that's what we want to see. I mean, 14 games to go. I don't know whether it's too little, too late. Only time will tell. But, I mean, yeah, so far, so good, I would say. Mm. Mm. Andy, that's a pretty good summary, to be fair. And I think you're right about the, just that little snippet of Sean McWilliams going back into the changing rooms and with Ryan Watson. And it just... It just seems a slightly happier camp, maybe, and it's exactly. given, fans, given fans something a little bit more to buy into because I think a lot of us were getting a slightly disillusioned with the way things were going, and it just needed that change needed to happen. And I just find the football, even though we're not winning every week, just a little bit more entertaining, Martin. 
disillusion, Tom. You under curl. <laughs> Never picked that up. Um, yeah, I, I, I think. Uh, joking aside, I think Andy yourself, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's um, even before the win, it was there was a bit more verve and joy about the players. They were on the front foot. Um, they were they were trying stuff. It, it seemed a happier camp. It was more aggressive, more more offensive. And Brady's interviews, I remember uh, we were talking after the Ipswich game, especially, you know, there was there was something about, he's got a bit of, yeah. I don't know, gravitas is the word, but passion. You know, he, he's, he's come into a, you know, a fairly down group of guys at a club that he's, you know, worked for five years and he's immediately got a tune out of them. And he really, he really seems to care and he seems good on the mental side and, yeah. You know, we're all pretty down, I think, after um, Saturday at Swindon with the kind of two really poor goals. And, you know, just to see the response he got after that against a much better side. And, you know, especially from the, key, the keeper, you know, he had, he had a stinker on Saturday. Um, oh, yeah, it, was, it felt like a no-brainer. Any other decision, and, and I was listening to the Kelvin Thomas interview today, any other decision, you know, the manager's not... We're going to hide into nothing because not going to have much time to train, do anything except play games. So the man in situ's got a good chance, but they do. The club seem to think really highly of Brady, Samo, and Rico. I think we all do. You know, there's, there's lots of things we can knock, but I think this is a decision. It's it's spot on, and it is going to. When you look at the run of games they've got left, you know, most of them against teams at the top half, it's going to be bloody tough. But you'd rather go down fighting then go down passively waiting for bad things to happen, which is, you know, what it was turning into mm. in the dog days under curl. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Jeff, you've been a cobbler's writer, variously fan, pretty much, you know, um, watching from different perspectives, dipped in and out a little bit. What's your take on the, the curl change and then John Brady being given the job till the end of the season? Does it make sense to you? Yeah, it, it yeah it does. I agree with everything the other the other two lads have said so far. It's I mean it's the thing the big question that will be asked when the when the dust has settled on this season. And I think you know is if Brady keeps them up, that is an enormous achievement. Yeah, to make make no mistake yeah. about it. Like the the odds have got to be so stacked against that. I think I was um, I heard an interview with him earlier actually, where he was saying they play nine of the top eleven in their remaining games, something like that. So it's yeah. it's, it's enormously difficult um, proposition to keep them in the division. But you know, lots of positive signs and stuff going forward. So as I was going to say, I think the big question will be after the season: should they have, should they have made the change earlier? Really, mm. you know, they gave Curl the. Um, the transfer window to go and, and buy players, bring in players, and you know didn't appear to be great. I mean, that really was one of Curl's strengths, wasn't it? Was was um, recruitment. He, they he got in some great players um, initially, uh, and then pretty, they all pretty much left, didn't they, at the end of last season, and then sort of lost his touch with that a little bit. So I think there'll be a, a question and, and a conversation about the timing of that. In terms of Brady, I think he's brilliant. I remember speaking to him a couple of times because. I think he was manager of Brackley. I want to say he was manager of Brackley Town, or he was manager of a local non-league mm. team when I was still at the prom. And I've spoken to him on the phone a few times, and he's, he was even then he was he was really good, very much like one of these sort of um, student of the game, students of the game types, you know, uh, a, a thinker, someone that's very you know very intelligent about football and is good. Mm. And in his interviews, he communicates that really well. The mm. only question you know, possible quibble about that is that sometimes that isn't, you know, that is only one part of what is a very multi-skilled job um, is the actual coaching and tactics and know-how and stuff. There's all loads of other elements to it, isn't there? Recruitment and things like that and budget yeah. management and then player management and man management. I think if you're a good youth team coach, then that's that's a good basis Um but it's it's it is only that, isn't it? It's you know there's still lots more you need to be able to do. Mm. That said, I do I, I I like the cut of his jib. One thing I do really like about him, and um, I, ho I hope we hope everyone gets the reference. He reminds me a bit of um, Richie Aprile from The Sopranos. Um, <laughs> but hopefully he doesn't run over anyone in the car park and and leave them uh, permanently disabled. 
But, yeah. Um, yeah, he's got that David Provan cut, cut to his jib, which I really like. But, you know, all good, all good so far. I think that that might be a really useful tool for a manager, a bit of an edge to you. Maybe not to that level of leaving <laughs> stable to life or whatever. Yeah. The other thing all of a sudden you pull open the crom one day and you find out that John Brady's been shot by his wife. <laughs> we um, don't want that to happen just for the legal team. We don't want that to happen. I'm Kelvin um, Thomas has to come along and clear it all up. <laughs> he just caught but, um, up. I think Jeff made a good point, actually, about the multi... That's not, that's not even a word. Multifacetedness, that's not a word. But, you know, the multi-dimensions of being a manager. And I think that actually pulls into one of the most important features of that appointment and the press release and everything was this whole new talk, which is obviously music to my ears as someone who's banged on about it for years, if you know, months, if not years, about structure and about mm. medium-term planning and stuff like this, which is like just, just a whole different direction. And if they do go down the technical director route, which I've, yeah, again, been banging on about, that maybe with the structure, you free the coach or the manager from the, you know, the, the complete job of recruitment, from all the jobs of an old-fashioned manager that, who did everything and controlled the whole club. I think that maybe maybe John Brady is more of a, you know, a more modern sort of guy, a more modern manager. Mm. And I was really pleased to, to hear the, the talk about you know, just, the, just the structure of the football club, which I think has been, I won't say neglected, but just in that struggle to survive for so long and just keep our heads above water. Sometimes you lose track of trying to plan ahead a little bit. Do you know what I mean, Martin? Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, as I say, we, when, it, when it goes well, you know, we all get behind uh, the person in charge. And when it goes badly, yeah. we eventually get, get on their back. And you end up, that kind of you start and then someone else comes in they've got to get their own players in you then got players you've got to shift on and yep. it becomes a not vicious circle, but it just the pattern repeats itself and I think we look at sort of more progressive clubs you know the likes of of Posh uh Brentford sort of the obvious two points that that jump to mind they have much more uh, flowing sort of structure that says, well, yeah, you know, that, that person picking the team come and go, but there's yep. a certain way we're recruiting a certain, um, uh, a certain type of player will look for a certain culture about the club. And mm. I think, you know, it's music, music to my ears as well, hearing, hearing um, Kelvin Thomas talk, say, you know, we've, we've been a bit short term and it, it sort of worked. We probably need to do something different. And the thing that said, you know, we have talked to other managers, but these three, it's they will be part of the club, whether it's in these roles or in other roles, because they're reporters. That that felt, you know, a very different vibe to we're waiting for the latest Messiah to sort things out. And, you know, we've, um, I think, you know, a lot of us, you know, Tom, especially very articulately, have kind of banged on about this type of thing. And it feels like, you know, a couple of steps in the right direction. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. Like, Andy, do you sort of agree that there has been a tendency to all well, you know, with good well-meaning to back the manager, but then when it goes wrong, rip things up and then, you know, start again from square one? You think it's a time now for Northampton to try and put a few procedures into place to try and, you know, really kick on and keep us in League One if we stay there and, you know, hopefully a little bit more? Yes, I do. Um, I think that would hold true at any time. But I think um, it's a brave move when you're at sort of Northampton's level. We're talking basically yo-yo in between bottom two tiers. It can be done, of course, with the examples you've given. But more often than not, you 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 just have owners um, and people that in charge of the purse strings almost sort of playing safe in a way um and as long as it's i don't know one good season in two or three you just kind of keep rolling around doing the same thing um it's you know living in the real world of football you know in the basement or near the basement um it takes real vision um to i don't know change the structure of a club and say right we're going to go all in with this it yeah. can be done, but I can see it from both sides, really. I'm not mm. that surprised that 
it doesn't get done as often as it isn't if that makes mm. sense no it makes it makes perfect sense and a lot of football clubs are losing money so when you're losing money every penny counts doesn't it and every pound you spend on trying to speculate to accumulate or trying to build infrastructure or whatever is it's probably a pound a pound that you could or a penny you could keep in your pocket so yeah it's a difficult one but i do think we're getting to the time now with northampton jeff i'll bring you in here and mm. you've had this as much as i have for 20 30 years probably <laughs> even longer in the whole history of the club that cobblers have this potential but i th- i think personally that it's been proven now a lot long enough by history that that potential is just not going to be achieved just on its own and hoping for something to come around the corner. I think something there really needs to be, you know, a strategy put in place to try and grow the club a bit like, you know, Lincoln are doing or other clubs have done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. And the, the thing is, I, um, you know, this idea of uh, having a director of football and then a coaching structure and sort of a, like a set way of, of, of playing as well and, and recruitment strategy and stuff, I think would be great. I think I'm massively in favour of that. The only problem I can think with that is, is you lose three games and people start kicking off. Mm. You know, do you know what I mean? And if it's yeah. like, you know, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what happens if if they go down under Brady. And it, I mean, it is an if, isn't it? It's not there's, it's not guaranteed. But if he takes them down, will people still be like, okay, no, you know, we'll, let's let's just let's go through with it. And then next season he he starts season. Say they don't win their first six, seven games. Yeah, you know it's like football fans. Sometimes it's there's such a short-term mentality to it, and and I mm. get that because you know it's it, it it's like well, if you're passionate about something, you want it to be great all the time, don't you? Yeah. But I think it's a bit like um, uh, uh, the, uh, I, I'm I, I'm loath to do this because I always bring out these boovoidisms. But it's like, <laughs> he, like he once said, you can't have a rainbow without a bit of rain. <laughs> and um, you know, there's going to be a sh- there'll be a shit spell. You know, if you've got a yeah. if, if you're doing a whole new structure, there's going to be a time where it will be shit, and the fans yeah. are going to have to you, they're going to have to hold their nerve, and people will have to hold their nerve and say, look, we we support this guy, we believe in what he's doing. If we if we have a run where we don't win for six, eight, ten, fifteen games, let's all yeah. let's not panic and 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 sack everyone and bring in eight new players and pay off the coaching staff and, uh, you know, enormous cost. Let's yeah. sort of, like, take a breath and sort of think, this is, we're sticking to the plan. It's a long-term thing. And it would be really interesting to see how that pans out because I would definitely be in favour of more of a long-term strategy, um, especially around the youth team and things like that, which, which is yeah. Brady's kind of area of expertise, I suppose you'd say, isn't it? So it, it's going to be an interesting one. I think... Sometimes it's the manner, isn't it, of how these things, you know, if they're if they're losing and getting battered and stuff, and you, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, it's very different to if they're in games and being a bit unlucky and and you know, that's window game the weekend classic example. You can't legislate for errors like that. So it just I don't know what you guys think. You know, are the fans ready to just sort of hold their nerve? Mm. Not remotely, no. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I I going a million it, years, <laughs> mate. <laughs> a good example is um, Norwich City, for what, exactly what Jeff was talking about. I really recommend if you ever get five minutes and you're that bored, Google um, Norwich City. Stuart Webber, the sporting director there, and he's very, very eloquent, very intelligent guy. And the way he explains the setup at Norwich is a brilliant example of it needs leadership. And it needs that structure and leadership to, you know, explain to the fans what you're doing, be mm. consistent. And they, you know, Norwich got relegated out of the Premier League and their fans were saying, is this actually working? Blah, blah, blah. And now they've kept faith with it and they're top of the championship now. Yeah. They're doing yeah. really yeah. well with it. They've got a lot of homegrown players coming through, which they can sell on or keep in the team, whatever they want to do. And the structure does work. You obviously need patience. And I think you're right, Jeff, that Cobblers fans aren't particularly that patient. But at the same mm. time, I think it's shown with John Brady that if you're doing things the right way, uh, you know, going out and doing everything you can, you know, setting the team out right, setting the team out logically, players are playing the, to their best ability and stuff. I think that fans, there's more and more Cobblers fans with just that bit, little bit of understanding and I see it more and more. I think it's changing mm. all the time and maybe that's to do with, we've done, we've, the club's been run in a very similar way for a, quite a long time and that is give the manager the budget. Cardoza did it. 
Kelvin Thomas has done it, good or bad. Give the manager a budget. Let them do what they want. Stand off. Let you know. Give them the budget. And hope you know. Hope for the best. Hopefully they can do something. And I think fans are sort of realising that that sort of way of running a club is sort of becoming a little bit archaic now. I'm just wanting just to just to change, you know, and just just to try things a little bit different. You know, it might be a bit of a you know utopian thing, but eventually you have to try something different. That's what I'm trying to say, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I think um, the, John, it, the John Brady appointment makes a lot of sense. There's not been too many people that have kicked off about it. What happens in the summer will be really important. And if they actually do any structural work, because it's very easy to just talk about it and not do too much. But I guess we'll see. But I think, I don't want to speak for everyone, but you know we're supporting John Brady, everything he does, and hopefully he can pull something out of the bag. Cause well, I, say I mean, what Jeff said, if, if he does end up keeping us up, it's... It's it's up there with um, just incredible managerial achievements. Mm. Yeah, without a doubt. Let's move on a little bit to another story. We're talking about it before the podcast. Quite interesting in terms of people's memories and you know an understanding of football back in the eighties and some of our formative years. I'm in St John, legendary Liverpool footballer, passed away recently. Um, obviously, a very good player and co-star of St. Angreezy, the seminal football show. Um, I know you were a big fan of that, weren't you, Andy? And it's sort of a sad that Ian St. John's passed. Yeah, we're all of a similar age. I think um, mm. we've all got that similar experience, really. Um, football focus, quarter past 12. St. Angreezy, 10 past 1. Um, St. Angreezy ended 20 to 2. Leave for the county ground. That was literally the, um, <laughs> the agenda of a Saturday was a, the first show of its of its kind um and you know i loved it i loved it didn't you say martin that it was part of your routine to watch a little bit of sending grease and then disappear off to the county ground yeah it's, it's the same as andy except the other other side of town so what my recollection of we're talking beforehand as i'm the only non-wrestling aficionado but i reckon <laughs> i reckon my saturday in that 86 87 season that really sort of stuck sticks in my mind that I would be watching St. Greavesy about half 12 and I think professional wrestling at, at one or maybe the other way around and then I'd leave my house on lumber tubs my mate would walk up from Lings and we'd walk into the county ground like to watch that, that brilliant Graham Carr side and and it was I thought at the time it seemed good because there was nothing really like it on football but I think we've all talked kind of in the week and it was more than just what it meant to you back then it's like because you look at it you might think now it's a bit dated Mm. but in a world where you hadn't had fantasy football you hadn't had uh, soccer am you hadn't had some of the really good stuff on talk sport the likes of sort of max rushton um hawksby and jacobs those really good football journalists um all those things i think you had to have Satan Greavesy to take football yep. out of the old, it's sort of rather posh, stuffy. You know, Bob Wilson's a great guy, but there was a certain style of reporting. Yeah. And Satan Greavesy was rather irreverent, irreverent, and it was great. It was great. I like to think we've got a bit of Satan Greavesy about us ourselves. On this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, and let's not forget, um, again, I had this on VHS until a, not that long ago. Saint and Greavesy doing the Rumbelows Cup draw with Donald Trump. Yeah, brilliant, absolutely <laughs> brilliant. They were in the. States, I, rem- I remember that so clearly. USA '94 preview stuff, I think. Well, it was. It, yes, it was. It was. Yeah. It was in. It was in kind of September, October 1991. Yeah. And it was a. It, it was so exotic. Saint and Greavesy do a show, you know, with a Manhattan skyline behind. Yeah, it was them. in Trump Tower, was it? Yeah, well, they do the draw in Trump Tower because because he because there's a bit where they literally they've got the guy from the FA there. I can't remember exactly who it was. It wasn't Millichip, but it's one of <laughs> one of his cohorts. And Don, and he pulls out Leeds United against Man United. It's one of the ties. He and greedy. Oh, Donald, you don't know what you've done there. <laughs> Maybe Graham Kelly. Graham Kelly used to do it with both Millichip those sort of draws, and they always just it always used to be like. And Millwall would play West Ham, and then they just snigger. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because thieves, don't 
Graham Kelly with the massive big glasses and Bert Milicic was like a bit like uh, the guy out of um, Danger Mouse. Pen he Pop. looked like he was about 120 <laughs> <Pen> years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I always I'm, remember that. He just seems so exotic, Saint and Greasy, yeah. in, you know, doing a special from the USA. I did because I was on um, I was on duty on the Sky Sports News digital news desk when the news came through. Ian St John had died, so I was look. I had to quickly write a bio for the website and stuff. And I was looking through um, sort of the web, you know, web sources and stuff. And they were saying um, I read an interview with them many years after. I think it was from sort of the mid noughties that sort of time. So probably sort of fifteen years ago. And they were saying. Oh, you know, we wouldn't. A lot of the things we used to say on Saint and Greasy, we wouldn't get away with now because of the PC brigade or something like that. And I thought, I don't, I don't remember it, it being like that. And so, I'll, actually, after my shift, I should add, I went back and watched a couple of episodes on YouTube, and there's there's nothing there's nothing like that. There's nothing out of order about it at all. It's all what you call good, clean fun, but it's all really like entertaining, and it's not. It's there's nothing non-PC in it. There was a brilliant bit, however, where because they did other sports, didn't they? So they'd have, you know, they'd have like previews for the Open Championship and things like that and rugby and stuff. They mentioned about the, the Oxford and Cambridge boat race. <laughs> and um, do you know what's coming, Nancy? <laughs> Jimmy Greaves goes, it's a strange sport that is, isn't it? Afterwards, they all dunk their cocks in the water. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's what he meant. <laughs> That's a great impression as well. That's a that really idea, good. It was. Brilliant impression. It and was when, almost when going Gre- towards Frank Spencer, but it was good. It was very good. <laughs> and when Greavesy, uh, I think, was ill one week, because I remember when Greavesy Ill. was on it one week. And I, re- I distinctly remember my dad saying he's back on the booze. Yeah. Um, and, and so they. Um, they put his spitting image puppet in there. Oh, and yeah, Peter, Brack- right. Peter Brackley voiced the programme or voiced Greaves' puppet. With you should have got Jeff to do friend. it, Andy. Perfect impression. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> one, thing, um, one thing I did notice, though, was um, there was a, they did like um, Arsenal. I think Arsenal were top of the league when on the episode I watched. So they did like a quick, a quick sort of VT of their goals from the midweek and stuff. And then they interviewed George Graham. And they went back to the studio and they said, oh, um, Arsenal missed out on um, signing, who was it? It was a player signed from, that was, they wanted from Celtic that went to West Ham, Frank McAvenny. And um, so they just mentioned that and then went back to George Graham and George Graham said, yeah, it was just a financial thing. We, they, they kind of offered him more money than us. <laughs> and, that, and, that, and like that was it. And I was thinking, like, if that happened now, you'd have... <laughs> A four thousand word piece on the Athletic about it, and you, would. you know the deal would have been tracked in every minor, minuscule detail of the deal would have been <laughs> yeah, you're right, been covered, wouldn't it? Ad infinitum, and and this was just oh yeah, they wanted to get him, he's gone to West Ham instead. Here's what the manager said about it. I did a tweet about Saints and Greasy. I never really know what to tweet about, to be honest, these days. Um, and someone's replied saying that. Um, they did a feature on uh, McRitchie and the troubles at the club uh, on St. Greavesy, which is really sort of quite... That rings a bit, yes. You know, that's quite, that's quite, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, not necessarily groundbreaking, but it's quite interesting that they, they you know, yeah. were, were concerned with football at, at that level and, and, you know, quite a big story, but for a very small club in the big scheme of things. I think it was in the, that warm, heady glow of um of italia 90 we played walsall in that um just incredible zigzag kit bobby barnes was playing um on a friday night and charlie natamak was playing for walsall and um pretty sure natamak had been drafted into the itv studios to sort of you know be the be the cameroonian insider um and grieve there's there's greavesy doing the voice because they always used to sort of just chat over whatever the friday night match had been one week it'd be preston south end and then we happened to play walsall and there's greavesy just going there's charlie there's charlie (laughs) i remember um efron elad and charlie mark however you pronounce it my cameroonian or french or whatever speaking cameroonian isn't great in a photo with pete norton on the pitch i think it was um the best scott Two Cameroonians together, beaming, you know, beaming smile. And I was, I was saying that I reckon 
FNE lad was just very pleased to be, you know, uh, considered a true Cameroonian international. <laughs> so it's a great Either that or he'd had a particularly successful night at Ritzy's in the in the bomber jacket and shorts combo <laughs> yeah. the night before. Listen to the Craig when, um, Jeff, where Craig said that they had a fast pass to get to the front of the queue as well. They had a card. Yeah, brilliant. Love all that. That's just great stuff, isn't it? That. Yeah, I have one of those actually. Okay, then we're joined now by Andy Mitchell-Moore from Portsmouth Podcast PO Forecast. Bit of unease among some Pompey fans after the recent Doncaster defeat, isn't there, Andy? Never a really good time to play Portsmouth, but as good as any for Northampton on Saturday. I do think that we are a little bit there for the taking, if I'm honest. I think one of the mm-hmm. things we're probably going to come on to in this chat is if you start fast and get on top of us early. I mean, one of the stats that's come to light recently is that Pompey haven't won a game for almost two years after going a goal down and conceding the first goal. So if you get on top early doors, the team is not mentally in the right place at the moment to deal with that. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of flack flying around after our most recent game. Absolutely. I thought you were going to say that Portsmouth haven't won for two years. I think I was saying that's fantastic. (laughs) It it, it feels like that, (laughs) to be honest. I think we've won one in five. But, uh, yeah, it's not. It's not a good run of form, and I think it is genuinely a good time for you to play us from your perspective. Yeah, obviously the first game at Fran Park, you absolutely spanked us. So we're not going to be at all cocky going into this. We just announced our manager, John Brady. He's been given the job till the end of the season. He was a caretaker, and he's turned results around a little bit. We've got, well, basically he's got one win, but he's got us playing a little bit better football from some of the industrial stuff that Keith Cole was playing. So it'll be an interesting tussle, won't I looked at some of your recent form. You lost at Doncaster, which was a bit of a, a bit of a crunch game around the playoff places. You lost that, I think it was 2-1. And previous to that, you drew one all with Gillingham. So I know Pompey fans have got some Pompey fans have got sky high expectations. Is there a bit of unrest at the moment about those results? I think that's that's an understatement. Um, I, I think that if you just look at the match facts of those games. It doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, we we were recording our pod last night and we pulled up the match stats for the Doncaster game and it looks like it was a dead even game. Same number of shots, same on target, etc. But Doncaster was so much better than us. They were miles better. We scored it with about 12 seconds to go to make it 2-1. We were never really in the game. And same with the Jills game. That was a Fratton Park and we created some chances in the first half. Second half, we were dreadful. And it's it's kind of an ongoing theme. And I mean, obviously, on, on the pod, we're fairly sort of moderate, middle of the road. We don't get too high, too low. Yep. We're not people who sort of spread panicky messages and call for sackings, etc. Yeah. Even our pod last night was had a fairly negative vibe to it because the, the performances have been really poor. There is not a set formation or a set lineup the manager's happy to stick with. Yeah. We're getting outplayed by teams who on paper you'd expect us to be better than there's no sort of entitlement for me but on paper you look at the players for the two teams you'd expect us to be doing better than we're doing and there's just seen there's sort of a culture of accepting what is essentially mediocrity at times in the club now and yeah it, it's a bit of an odd one if I'm honest I think traditionally there are a lot of people who get on the manager out horse really really quickly and really prematurely Mm. And it's normally a very vocal minority on social media. And I'm, I'm guessing it's the same at, at Northampton. I think it's the same at most football clubs. You've got a very vocal minority. Yeah. But I, I think it is now the majority of Pompey fans who are hoping that Jacket doesn't renew his contract at the end of this season. So he's, he's coming mm. towards the end of a three-year deal with us yeah. uh, at the end of this season. So it's now a majority who are just disen- uh, disenfranchised or disenchanted and just there's a lot of apathy and it's just it's not really it's not a great time to be a Pompey fan at the moment if I'm being brutally honest but it's a first world <laughs> problem I get that compared to a lot of clubs but yeah. it's not the most enjoyable time and you, you're not getting the feel goods and it's not going to be a good game to watch. That sounded like life at Northampton under Carl in the last few months where whereby fans were not really looking forward to games and there was a bit of a cloud hanging over everything and if you look at it on face value, you're still fifth in the league. So it's not the end of the world. But at the same time, I just think with Kenny Jacket, and I'm no expert on Pompey, obviously, and I'm just looking from the outside in, I just feel that a lot of the messages I see coming from fans and stuff is that he is slightly beleaguered. And I think when you get 
into the position where whereby you say that a lot of the fans are wanting a change. It's just, it's just hard for him to come back from that. You know, he might win one game and then he'll lose one, and then he'll be you know he'll be sucked back into that sort of discussion about his future. So can can you see a way out for him, or do you think that he's coming to the end of the road? He's he's come back from similar before. There was, I think it was when we played Wimbledon. There was. Uh, pre-COVID, before Wimbledon, when we played Wimbledon, there was a real jacket out. Uh, it was an away game, and the Pompey fans were behind the, the uh, dugouts away at Wimbledon. And he took a lot of grief there, and that was probably peak dissatisfaction, I guess. And it almost got to the point that we were, e- even on the pod, we were thinking, you know, is this really going to work out? Is there any point pursuing this? Are we not just sort of meandering towards an inevitable meh? ending and then him leaving I mean if we somehow find a way of going up I think he'll stay I mean I'd be fairly certain he will stay yeah but if we either lose out in the playoffs that'll be what three years in a row and there have been some very questionable tactical decisions in some of those games uh, in the playoffs in, in the last two years to give you an idea of how a number of fans, and I think this is a minority, but how a number of fans are feeling. There are people out there who are putting on social media that they would rather we didn't actually get promoted if it means we get a fresh face in as a manager. Yeah, I know what you mean by that. There were a couple of Cobblers fans, sort of half tongue in cheek, saying they don't really mean that, but they 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 sort of say if we lose a couple of games, at least it will bring about a little bit of change. So no fan really wants Pompey to stay down, really. But it's just I think it gets to the point where. Even if you're not even going to games, you're spending money on iFollow and stuff like that. You're spending good money for following the side and you don't follow football to be miserable. And that's what it boils down to, isn't it? Well, no, that's exactly it. And I mean, like a lot of teams, Pompey's got a very dedicated fan base. I mean, yeah. even when we were dropping through the leagues, I think our lowest season, our average attendance was sort of 12-ish thousand out of 19,000. And that was when we lost, 20, or we didn't win for 23 games sort of mm. about almost 10 years ago now. But we were still getting sort of 60% capacity sellouts. And it's a very dedicated fan base. And I'm I'm one of a number of fans. I travel two and a half hours each way to every game. I live in Oxford and I travel down to every home game in non-COVID times. So there's a lot of people like me. And when you, you should support that, Northampton if you live if you live that close. Come and support us, mate. We'll love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I just well, I should support Oxford, really, shouldn't I? If yeah, that was yeah, if yeah. that was the case. But um yeah, when you're doing that and there's just such it, it's not nice football to watch and the results also aren't coming in and tactically to call it suspect would be probably the polite and PC way of putting it, but it has been very tactically suspect on a number of occasions. And so talk me through the tactical problems as you see it then without going into, you know, you know, that the minutiae too much. What, where do you think it's gone wrong for him in terms of his formations, tactics and stuff like that? So he Initially, when he first joined the club, he was sort of the stone wall set on one formation and he got quite a lot of flack for not being flexible enough. Yeah. I feel like he's now gone the other way too far. He's too far to the other end of the spectrum in that he doesn't know his favourite formation. He doesn't know his favoured lineup. Yeah. And what we tend to do, and it's been a recurrent theme recently, is even if we're playing a home game against a team nearer the bottom of the division he will set us up in a way to try and negate the opposition's strengths <laughs> rather than to actually assert some dominance on the game. It sounds Even exactly like Keith Cole used to be for Northampton. That's exactly really? what he used to talk about. He used to talk about nullifying the opposition as his basis to, to win the game. And that might work in a, a tactics textbook or in your head when you're planning the game. But fans don't really want to watch that because the problem is, is you're only one mistake away from... From, from like conceding and then you're struggling to get if, if one team scores one or two goals against you you're struggling to think of where the goals are coming from and it it's quite dour to watch yeah that's exactly it so yeah you can you can see where I'm coming from then in terms of the sort of trying to negate the opposition but yeah he, he was pretty set with a 4-2-3-1 formation for quite a while and as you'll know from John Marquis like if you're pumping long balls in the air up to him it's not really playing to his strengths when he's facing away from goal you'd yeah. think that'd be fairly sort of common sense but um apparently not so we did that for a while we did we had a really good run of form actually when we started playing 4-4-2 with Marquis playing up top with uh, Marcus Harness who's actually by trade a right midfielder but Ellis Harrison our other starting striker at the time picked up an injury and at that point we had to start rotating around some of our attacking midfield players 
playing up top alongside Marquis. And that worked really, really well. And we get, went on to a good run of form. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure why we didn't stick with that. Yeah, let's move on quickly to a couple, well, a few players that have played for both teams or play for Pompey now. I used to play for Northampton. We talked a bit about John Marquis, who was at Northampton on loan under Chris Wilder. Um, he's struggling for a little bit of form, confidence maybe? Yeah, his confidence isn't there in terms of goal scoring at the moment. He did score in sort of the 94th minute of 94 in that Doncaster game. It was actually a, a really nice finish that's not got the credit it deserves because of the circumstances it was scored under. But he has been struggling a little bit recently for confidence. And again, one of the things we've made a point of recently is that his movement is still excellent. He's still getting in those positions. He's still putting the work ethic in, like chasing down lost causes, closing down keepers. He's putting the legwork in and he's getting in the positions, but his confidence there isn't just doesn't seem to be there finishing. And again, people are getting on his back pretty quickly at the moment. People have very short memories. And, you know, he won player of the month a few months ago and scored... I can't remember how many games in a row it was, but scored a ridiculous number of games in a row. And yeah, was pulling up trees all over the place. But now it's a bit of a barren spell, but I'm not going to pardon him. I'm a big defender of him because I think he's one of those players that can change the game in a moment with a moment of quality that we're potentially lacking a little bit in other areas on the pitch. So um, Even though he's known as an all-action sort of guy, came through the ranks at Millwall, He's probably a confidence player at the same time. So I don't think particularly he's a massively natural finisher. I think he's worked very hard on his game. He can finish well when he needs to, but I wouldn't say he was like massively natural. He's brilliant work rate, you know, never stops running when he's when he's on it. So if fans are on his back a little bit, I think, yeah, like I said, he could he could shrink back a little bit. But at the same time, scoring against your former side, there's no better place to do it. And he did score against... Us, uh, against us in the first game, so yeah, and he did. He did know, score he against Doncaster. <laughs> he, t- he scored against Doncaster on Tuesday as well. So maybe he's just saving it all for the former clubs this season. Yes, yes, that's a good point. Um, another ex-player. To be honest with you, I don't even know if he's featured at all much this season. Michael Jacobs came through the ranks at Northampton, local lad to Northampton. What's he done for Pompey so far? He's been a really positive addition to the squad. So he's borderline availability for the weekend because he's been out injured uh, for a few weeks. He limped off must maybe three, four weeks ago, I think three weeks ago. Yeah. And he's, I think they expect him to be fit, but I don't think he'll start. I don't expect Jacket to throw him straight back into the starting lineup, but he's been really positive. Um, he's one of the few players in our team in terms of vision and, and picking a ball that can dissect defences. He's demonstrated he's got that vision and the ability to execute. So when he uh, when he limped off injured, that sort of coincided with a sudden downturn in form for us, and we've genuinely really missed him. So I'm hopeful he'll be back in the side this weekend. I think it, yeah, it's touch and go, as I say. But he's been yeah a, one of the players that's come out of this season with the most credit, I think, out of out of our normal starting eleven. Yeah, he's a, a naturally gifted player. Came through the ranks at Northampton. We were expecting like very big things from him. He played for people, clubs like Wigan and stuff. He's had a very good career. Maybe not hit the heights, the quite the heights that we thought, but he has got that natural ability and given the right run of form, the right belief from the manager, he will definitely be a player that you can rely on. So, yeah, again, another player hopefully doesn't play on Saturday. <laughs> a player you might hope plays on Saturday for Northampton is Bryn Morris because he came to, he's come to us on loan. He was signed by Keith Carroll. He's not a John Brady signing. And when he signed, basically the reviews from Portsmouth weren't very good, were they? <laughs> no, I think I'm I'm like 99% sure he's ineligible for this weekend, so I don't think oh, okay. we'll see him. Uh, but yeah, it's he had a rough time at Pompey for a number of reasons. He was played by injury while he was down here, which didn't help. And it sounds like that when he did play, he was playing through the pain barrier, which is, you know, it's going to get shown up in a in a professional standard league game. He also, when he came back from injury, he got thrown straight into the, into the starting 11 of our playoff games. This is one of the games I was referring to earlier when I said about questionable decisions for playoffs. Yeah, Jacket dropped our club captain, Tom Naylor, who will start in centre mid at the weekend. He dropped him for Morris for very little reason. And that it was something along the lines if he said that um, Naylor wasn't much of a summer player or he said that Bryn Morris was more of a summer player, Naylor's more of a winter player. What? And it doesn't actually mean anything. And we were sat there trying to dissect what that actually means. And we 
we couldn't actually figure it out and we never have so it's kind of not again one of the the sort of the sound bites you'd pull from Kenny Jacket interviews that make no sense at all but yeah so because Bryn Morris got pulled in after being out for months with an injury straight into playoff games where we didn't perform against Oxford and he already he was you know unspectacular in a Pompey shirt when he had played in his limited opportunities yeah he to a certain extent he became a little bit of a scapegoat I think but at the same time he didn't set the world on fire with the opportunities he had yeah, I feel like the, the reviews as he left us were not the most positive, as you imagine. But from from everything I've heard, he's a thoroughly nice bloke who's had a really crappy time with injuries. He's not pulled up any trees in Northampton. No. Uh, I've heard a couple of people say he's an attacking midfielder, and I'm just like, he's the, the guy's not an attacking midfielder. What he really is, is like you said, a holding midfielder, maybe a quarterback role. He can spray a couple of passes out with given time. But in League One this season, you're not given too much time. and I would, when he first came, he, the first game he played in, I was like, this guy's a bit of a revelation. I think it was against Lincoln. I might be wrong. But he was, he had a bit of time to pass some balls around and stuff and he looked pretty good. And then sort of bit by bit, he's sort of fallen back. And I just don't think he's got the dynamism we need particularly to try and get that ball forward. And I think Brady might sort of agree with that. He's gone with um, Sean McWilliams as a holding midfielder and Ryan Watson, who scored loads of goals for your supporters should look out for on Saturday. So I think them, those two are our two first-choice midfielders, Ryan Watson and Sean McWilliams. And then we've got Sowerby. He's, you know, he's OK to go alongside them if necessary. So for me, Morris isn't really in, in our top yeah. choice midfielders, even though he's on loan. So I would sort of agree, just from what I've seen with some of the stuff Pompey fans were saying, and I don't think necessarily if you were looking top three, top five, he's a player for you. But like you say, it might be down to injuries. It might be down to a little bit of bad luck and stuff. Football is like that, but you know, it's, yeah, it's I, not a given game, isn't it? And I feel sorry for him. I think he got a little bit shafted by the club while he was injured uh, in terms of how he was treated and training alone and isolated from the squad. Yeah, that's sort of what I've heard off the record, and I I feel bad for him. And then I think he was thrown into a game when potentially he wasn't match fit and wasn't ready. Yeah, and then the fact that he got put put into the the starting eleven in place of the club captain and then that decision was supported by a ridiculous rationale that literally doesn't make sense in English and that's none of that is his fault but at the same time yeah he didn't perform so the some of the personal stuff he got was completely unwarranted and unfair but yeah a, I don't, he doesn't need a player basis. that you know has got a lack of effort or anything like that maybe just yeah. not at the level required for various reasons yeah um, exactly maybe. just he's, he's a mid-table maybe lower mid-table league one central midfielder that's that's essentially what he is so mm. he was never going to you know win over Pompey fans with stunning performances I don't think yeah that seems reasonable maybe he turned up to games like went on the pitch with his flip-flops on so he was like you're a summer player for me mate you're a beach football guy <laughs> honestly any explanation you can think of we've we've covered it as to why Tom Naylor is more of a winter player why he suddenly decided that our club captain couldn't play in whatever it was May or June I honestly the sound bites we get if you didn't love the club, you would just laugh. I mean, we, <laughs> I one, of the, one that, of the things doing the rounds at the moment is after our game against Doncaster, in, in the post-match interview, Jackets come out and say said that um, it was a good way to lose. And <laughs> yeah, that's not a way of getting the fans on side, man. No, no, not, especially for um, Portsmouth fans. It's not too long ago you were in the Premier League and stuff, so saying it's a good way to lose probably won't sit too well. Yeah, Let's move on to quickly to talk about the Fratton Park, one of my favourite football grounds in England. I love an away day at Fratton Park. And I just think it's a really good ground with features of like old school football still. Is there any, there's plans to redevelop it or what's going on with that? Yeah, well, I mean, we repainted the toilets in the Fratton and last year, that was... <laughs> That's that was fine by of... me, just keep it with that because I don't want it to change. I don't want any <laughs> big redevelopment. They, they have done some work. So we've changed the floodlights on the ground. Um, there is, okay. there's work going on uh, you, well, I've been there once in the last 12 months now, so you put me on the spot. Um, I want to say it's the south stand. They're doing a bit of work on the floodlights have been changed. So we've got a new floodlight system up, which actually is really, really nice. It's sort of a, there are more of them at a lower level running down the side of the pitch rather than the big one in each corner. Um, so there, there is some development going on. And when the Eisners came in, from again, from what I've heard, we were about £4.1 million pounds short of 
having the ground at, at an acceptable safety standard for health and safety checks. So yeah. they threw about four million in it straight away just to actually allow us to pass those health and safety checks. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to do anything groundbreaking with it. I mean, I remember when it must have been sort of 07, 08 ish around the sort of the, the FA Cup win where there were talks about a new grounds. There were blueprints came out that they were going to put this big 36,000 seat stadium on the seafront in Portsmouth where Portsmouth Historic Dockyard is next to the Spinnaker Tower. And yeah. that, like none of that happened. And there, there was there's always underlying chat going on. They're trying to work out better ways of having the infrastructure around Fratton Park to do with routes from the train station down to the ground, et cetera. But there's not going to be anything wholesale happening, I don't think. Oh, that's good. That's good. There's so few old school, larger grounds left. Goodison Park will soon be gone. Mm. So I'm just uh, hoping that Fratton Park survives. In its yeah, I, I love it. Like, you walk down Frogmore Road and it's just it's normally it's one of the best bits of the week isn't it like walking towards such a classic ground and there's this sort of edwardian style front of the of the ground and yeah it's just yeah it's a it's a it's an awesome ground to go to i absolutely love fratton park i'm yeah I'm, my season tickets near the top of the fratton end and it just makes me it just sort of lifts the weight off your shoulders when you walk in somewhere that you love that much so uh so let's move on to a score prediction let's wrap it up i always i always let the other person go first so I can just tinker mine compared to what they say so I'm going to let you go first put your neck on the line what is it got the score prediction for Saturday I mean on our pod I went for 2-1 Pompey yeah but at the same time there, there's a part of me that wouldn't be surprised if it's a really drab nil-nil or one all because I think you'll see I mean tell me if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong I imagine in general fans of your club would see a point as a good result against a team in the top half in terms of avoiding relegation and yeah, yeah. I, I guess because we went on on Tuesday, everyone's sort of up again. We can we can stay up. The playoffs yeah. are already twenty points away or something. But <laughs> realistically, a, a point would be wouldn't be bad. Yeah, so I, I'm imagining that's how you're set up with that sort of attitude of coming for the point. And I, it's just I'm I'm I've been ground down honestly by by the last six months, and I we just don't have that clinical efficiency at the moment. We we're so slow with the ball in the final third and we'll just sit there with the ball sort of 30 yards out and we'll wait for you to have two banks of four and then we'll struggle to break you down and for that reason I can't I mean yeah 2-1 is optimistic I can't see a scoring more than twice I really can't so yeah one all or 2-1 I'll go with yeah sounds reasonable I've, while you've been talking I've been going through about three different scores in my head maybe four <laughs> nothing would surprise me it wouldn't surprise me if you go back to winning ways and Kainas 4-0 wouldn't surprise me if we win one nil, a little cheeky goal on the break or something. A one all draw wouldn't surprise me at all. So yeah. my mind is working overtime now. I'm just going to go for oh yeah, I'm going to go for a one all draw. I think that sort of realistic considering we don't score many goals. We scored a few more recently. You're not hugely prolific at the moment, so that's a reasonable. Yeah, um, I think so. And we I... just want some good football at the moment. I think we're so you know stuck in our own little bubbles and stuff, literally that. We look forward to Saturdays and just an entertaining game. I'll, I'll take that. I want to stay up, obviously, but I just want some entertainment. You, you're not going to get that from watching us this weekend, I don't think. It, <laughs> maybe you're going to have to provide the entertainment if it's going to be one of those games. And I hope you do, because that makes it a bit more open. If it just ends up being sort of boring, slow attack versus defence, clearing long balls out of the box, it's going to be a long 90 minutes for us all. But I think it could be decided by a defensive mistake, because by the sounds of it, you've got players who you know, are vulnerable to individual massive errors and we yeah. absolutely do like I say go and look at the Gillingham game and our Bristol Rovers game from recent times and it will make you feel a lot more confident about the weekend coming up <laughs> that's good we need to get the feel-good factor ahead of Saturday try and get some momentum we're in a relegation battle we're quite used to relegation battles at Northampton and we're sort of experts at it don't want to mm. you know tempt any fate or anything but we do sometimes tend to escape if you need to but it's going to be a massive test even if you're struggling for form Portsmouth is always a difficult test so we'll see how we get on enjoy the game mate anyway hopefully um, you enjoy the entertainment not necessarily the result but we'll talk again soon thanks yeah, a lot I could say the same to you thanks for having me on yeah no worries speak to you mate yes, the next thing we'll talk about is quite funny actually because it's World Book Day if you've missed it but it is <laughs> and uh, I just put it out there on Twitter have we got any cobblers World Book Day mashups, i.e. book titles. And I put it out there and we only had one answer, which is actually brilliant, which I'll go into in a second. But since we've been talking, the whole thing is blown up, guys. The whole thing is blown up. <laughs> right. There's been many, many good answers to this. I thought we'd have to go back to our ones, which are all right, but these have just blown it out of the water. So um, 
a mashup of a book title or novel title, whatever, with a uh, cobbler's player or whatever, anything to do with cobblers. Ashley Hardy, straight in there on Twitter. Pride and prejudice. Now that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's top draw, that. That's me clapping, by the way. You started very strongly with uh, a Pedge Bodic, Pedge Bodic reference, which is always goes down well. James Alvaro, Wallach regular. Be back on Sunday to talk post match. He has gone for Jake Robinson Crusoe. Nice. I'm going to test Jeff now because Jeff is a, you know, he's read a, read a few uh, books. If you can tell <laughs> us some of the uh, the authors of these books, <laughs> you could just Google it. <laughs> uh, Daniel Defoe, though. Uh, yes, yeah. of course, yes. Daniel I'm Germain. not going to test you on the work of Jeff. If you do know any of the authors, just let us know. If anyone knows, just give us a shout. <laughs> um, Keith Buckby. Has just gone loads, and this this one is probably the most highbrow. What is the most highbrow book you can get, depending on what your beliefs are? The Foley Bible. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh no, I don't know if that's sacrilegious or not, but who cares? But it's funny, so yeah, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> he just likes humour, so that's all very good. Somebody did come up with the Satanic verses, which I can't. <laughs> That was uh, Jake, and he said it doesn't any, any change. Is that Jake? Brilliant. Absolutely. Jake. Jake's, we'll go over to a couple of Jakes in a bit, but his were quite dark, some of them. Uh, <laughs> Keith Buckby has also gone for Fifty Shades of Stuart Grey. Nice. Cobblers go kinky. Uh, <laughs> who else have we got? Steve Howard's End from A.D. Richards. <laughs> um, Ashley Hardy's also, Ashley Hardy's got some brilliant ones. He's gone for um, Mark Little Women. Now that's quite a good one. <laughs> Louisa or and Alcott. Oh, yeah, see, there we go. Um, Mark Little was back in the time. That's Stuart Gray signing, wasn't it? A really good right back, as far as I remember. Yeah, um, yeah. Very good one. He's also gone for um, the David Hunts for Red October. That was <laughs> very good. Very good. Ashley Hardy as well. There's quite a few. If you go on our Twitter, you'll see some of them, and I'll retweet them later. But not a bad effort, guys. Um, we had a couple ourselves on our WhatsApp group. I just have to work my WhatsApp now and have a look. Um, Jake Moore is used to be, you know, he's a comedian, very funny guy, knows James Acaster, has performed with him and stuff like that. So it doesn't surprise me he's got some good ones. But the first one we come up with, up with made us all laugh. Alfie Potter and the half-finished stand. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good Harry Potter reference. So that's for all you Harry Potter fans out there. Jefferson Lake's gone a bit more slightly, um, you know, Dickensian. Hard times. Say no. <laughs> there, there's yeah. no pun. It's just a, that's just a summary of, of many people's cobblers watching experience. Of yeah. Misery as well was another one I threw in there. It was the same in the same vein. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're two good ones, and you know, yeah, just uh, pretty straightforward. Um, <laughs> I went for um, one of mine. It's uh, just for niche. Um, Cobbler's chairman fans out there from the 80s, Moby Dick Underwood. Nice. <laughs> All mine are just really tenuous, and I do apologise for my <laughs> And that was my one. Um, what else have we gone for? Uh, another one of mine was Eon, Ian Jess of the Durbervilles. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. I just... I just started, I almost forgot about Ian Jess played for us. He was actually quite a good player, wasn't he, Jeff? And, uh, yeah, very good technical player, yeah. He's Scottish international, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 But he played for us. Um, Ian Brandt, obviously, he's um, having a night off tonight. Deserves it. I think he's been an ever-present since we started, so he's probably <laughs> just having an exhaustion yeah. tonight. But Hoskins he... getting a game on the bench, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Can I drop in a topical one? Yeah, go on. Gone curl. Oh, Gone Cow. I like that Very one. Good. Very good. That's a good one. Um, Ian Brandt, obviously, that's called Ian Brandt. We know who he is. Ian has gone for, we need to talk about Kevin Van Veen. Now, that's <laughs> a very dark story, that. He's taking all sorts of dark. Um, Jake Moore, this is one of my favourites. The uh, seminal, uh, I think it's a David Fincher movie. Correct me if I'm wrong. Fight Club, but he's gone for Shite Club, Jake Moore. <laughs> <laughs> works on all different levels that so that was a good one um he also went for jake also went for twenty thousand leagues under the posh which is a sad <laughs> but true uh who else have we got we've got brendan who's um not joining us tonight but he's he went for quite a few actually he went for um 
things fall apart. That's a pretty highbrow reference, that is. <laughs> Chinua Achibi. I don't know how you pronounce that, but it's a very uh, good book. That's say no more on that one. He, he, he also went for Tinker Taylor, Soldier Y. <laughs> <laughs> Just why? Why are we supporting this team? Maybe we went for a few more. Has anyone else got any more? I think I chucked in the Thornton Birds. Yes. <laughs> the show wouldn't be wouldn't be complete without a Kevin Thornton reference. Yeah, that's a good one. And um, who, uh, Brendan also put as I lay dying, and then he's put in brackets at the lack of goals. <laughs> and also 1984, the last time cobblers were any good. Yep. <laughs> Money. Um, and then. Yeah. Just to wrap it up, I went for um, this is just mine all totally niche and fair play if you can actually remember this guy, Jamie Hand, the Jamie Hand Maid's yeah. Tale. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> fair play, like everyone's a lot more read than we give ourselves credit for. I put to be fair, I haven't read half of these books. I'm just trying to make myself sound intelligent, but yeah, some really good ones. And um, I think, do you think um, Jeff that? Uh, What's he called? Um, Tom Youngs would be proud of us because he was a reading champion at the football club. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> you should have got him on, really, for this for the World Book Day special. Do you reckon we should just get him to read us a book, a bit like you know, what's it called on Jack and Nori? Could just, like just a bedtime <laughs> story. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he'd be up for that. That could be a goer. We choose a book for him, and uh, just yeah, read us read us a story. But yeah, there's there's loads more, and um, just have a look on our Twitter. But that was a. Uh, Quite a little funny aside for World Book Day. So um, thanks everyone for tweeting in. Finally, we're on to the Cobblers A to Z. Really going to come to the end. It's going to be so sad when we get to the end because it's just we we'll go back to so start. Many... Yes. So we do numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Three, four, two. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be sad when we get to the end because we've had quite a lot of different stories from different players and various other little funny things to do with cobblers. And we're on to the letter V now. So we're really getting towards the end. Next week, Wayne Williams fans, it's your time. <laughs> letter V. I thought we weren't going to get any for this, to be honest with you, but we've got quite a lot from the, uh, the readers, but I'm going to go to Jeff first for a V because I think he's got one. I've got, it's, it's a, it's a quite a long, a long rambling anecdote. Um, okay. so All the best ones are. For the listeners, yeah. get yourself comfortable. Get a, get a drink, get put another log on the fire, and, uh, and, and settle in. Um, take take your minds back to a, a balmy autumn evening at the county ground. I'll give you the exact date of it. In fact, um, September the twenty fifth, nineteen ninety was the date. Um, and Northampton Town were entertaining Sheffield United in a Rumbelows Cup first round first leg fixture. Yes, very exciting. Um, now, I was 12 at the time and I absolutely adored football, but had, I, I'm pretty sure this was my first match. I don't think I'd been to a match before this. Um, my dad doesn't really like football and, um, you know, all images on TV of football in the 80s in our house were of sort of grounds being burning and, you know, fans <laughs> fighting and stuff. So I was, ne I was never going to be taken to a football match by my parents. Um, but luckily, we had uh, family friends had a, a son who was, I think it was about four or five years older than me. So he's about 17, 18, cobbler's regular. And I must have been badgering him to take me to a game for a little while. That was, uh, that was obviously the season after Italia 90, where um, my interest in football probably peaked. Um, a lot of people my age did the same thing. Um, so he took me to this game, Sheffield United Cup game. And uh, this, uh, this is the first time we've run the hotel end. I don't know the attendance. I couldn't find it when I was researching this long story earlier. It was probably only about 4,000, but it felt like it was absolutely heaving. Um, and here, obviously... Do you know what, now, mate? I've just, I'm sorry to interrupt. 8,679. 8,000. So it was heaving then, wasn't it? It was packed. Um, no, what am I on about? Sorry, that was the away leg, 6,910, oh, which is still, still pretty good. Still a lot. It's nearly 7,000 in, in the yeah. old place. But he, because um, this, this guy was a, sort of a bit of a lad, he would go towards the back of the hotel end um, with the singers and stuff. And when I was 12, I was tiny, like really, really tiny, like comfortably the shortest in my class, including all the girls. And 
my memory of the first half was just seeing the back, loads of people's backs. I didn't see a single kick in the first half. <laughs> Nothing. And um, he's, I think he just like, felt sorry for me. He's like, okay, I'll take you down the front at halftime. So I went down the front and did actually see some of the game. But my abiding memory then and now of the game was that the Cobras fans were singing a song, which was Billy Jones is a wanker, is a wanker. And I was like, this is amazing. Not only am I going to a football match, but there's also swearing. This is great. And not only is it swearing, but they also sing the swearing. This is brilliant. And I, I obviously absolutely love this. Billy Jones is a wanker. Oh, Billy Jones, yeah, what a wanker. And afterwards, I said to um, I said to the guy who took me, I said, oh, old Billy Jones, he got a fair bit of stick, didn't he? And he goes, no, no, that was Vinnie Jones. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, was it? And I was like, yeah, he's like, you know, the one that the one with the Gaza photo and that. And I was like, oh, it was Vinnie Jones. And I was like, oh, Vinnie Jones is a wanker. Oh yeah, I see why you're singing that now. Yeah, yeah. And he was he was only at um Vinnie Jones was only at Sheffield United for about a year, not even that. So we yeah. got to see him at the county ground. And that was um so yeah, that's my V, V for Vinnie Jones. And the moment probably that I fell in love with the hotel end. And ergo the cobblers. Oh, brilliant. Love it. <laughs> I think you should just call him Billy Jones for life after that, Joe. Yeah. If I ever interview him, I'll just call him Billy. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true, though, because there were so many football songs when you were little, you couldn't really get the, what, the words, could you? Because no one would explain no. it to you. You were like, no. that was I, I, got the, I got the last word of the song, which I absolutely adored, but um, not, the, not the first one. Yeah, that was a good one. So thanks everyone for tweeting us in. We need to dip off now. I'm going to go and read up because I'm just feeling very under-read. I'll just give you one more last one that uh, about uh, the Cobbler's book mashup from Phil Garlic. He's gone for Tinker. This is tenuous, but I like it. Tinker, Ian Taylor, Soldier Spy. Yeah, very <laughs> good. Brilliant. Take it easy, lads. And um, we'll talk again next week. Have a good weekend. Cheers, all Cheers, boys. Cheers, mate. See ya. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.